The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is Receipts, a dating podcast with evidence. I'm your host, Jenny Gorlick, and with the help of professional daters, we unpack the subjects of texts, DMs, emails, pretty much anything you can screenshot. I interview comedians about their dating lives, put together panels of experts to get to the bottom of age-old questions like, when does cuffing season begin and end? How do I answer my hinge prompts? And should I text him back? We hear your questions and we've got plenty of answers. And listeners can even DM me their receipts for advice. Listen literally anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes on Thursdays. You better not swipe left on this podcast. You are Columbus, and I am America. Discover me, Ramon. Just discover me. It's The Luminaries with David Odyssey. This time, the first and greatest sex symbol of the 20th century. It's the astrology of Grigori Rasputin with my dear ancient one, Leila Halabian. I hope you enjoy First, some musings on the Britney Spears documentary, Batman the Animated Series, and generally the human race. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Okay, before we just get cracking with the interview, I just have a few updates. This is how the podcast works, okay? It's a little of me and a little bit of like kind of the cosmic history. So again, I do not want to... um, You know, I I just want to put this disclaimer out. I don't want you to suffer the way you suffer when you listen to Mark Maron. So you can absolutely fast forward me talking about my life and just get to the interview with our esteemed guest, Leila Halabian. Um, I won't be offended. I actually don't care. And I don't know what your your listening experience is like. I, I don't really know your life. Okay. I just want to say that. So... A few updates. I took a plane. I took two planes recently and I'm back in New York. I was gloriously seated next to a Hasidic couple on my flight out of New York. The United flight had those screens in front of your face where it's showing direct TV. And I am just like constantly astounded by the fact that people don't care. They The first thing I do is I take my stumpy little thumb and I, I dim, I turn it off so that I don't have um, the advertisements for the Scooby-Doo animated uh, whatever minion hell world in my face. But most people actually just don't care. It doesn't occur to them. And to add insult to injury, the Hasidic couple next to me on their device chose to watch. The Sarah Jessica Parker, Greg Kinnear vehicle, he's just not that into you. And let me tell you, watching them watch it, I, I I, don't know what happened after the family stone. I don't know what happened with her. Um, she and Claire Danes both really took severe turns. I think Claire Danes, for, not for, not for evil, um, but Sarah Jessica, that movie, I was like, there is no possibility that this is okay for anyone 
Uh, my uh, HBO Max has Batman the Animated Series. I am loving. It's such a beautiful show. Um, and it's weird because anything like that in that style, I would think is so like slipper room comic-con steampunky in the worst way but i think the show is so elegant and um especially i I watched um i think it's feet of clay and i watched the first episode of season two so feet of clay is clayface who is this like old hollywood actor who gets turned into this like deformed mutant clay monster which i used to find very erotic when i was a child is trying to steal these like compounds from Wayne Tech so that he can become handsome again. And Batman like goes out of his way to thwart him in this really sick way. And then the next one, which I remember from childhood is poison. Ivy moves to the suburb. She's reformed. She has a husband and kids. Of course the husband and kids are um, plant monsters and Batman stops her. And both episodes were really interesting to me. I mean, this is not interesting. I sound like a 19-year-old in a queer theory class, um, but it was just so obvious that Batman was the villain. Like, Batman, to me, was kind of the Buffalo Bill. They were trying to get out of queer life. They were trying to get out of this liminal space that they're trapped in. But Batman was like this enforcer where he was like, oh, no, you don't. You are not moving to the suburbs. You are not getting your face back. You are going to stay with me in like this hell. Um, Which was kind of amazing because that's kind of how I feel about all of my friends who are in uh, successful relationships. Or just like, I felt so... I'm going to sound like fucking Cruella DeVille, but like this Thanksgiving when it was a faux pas for people to post uh, pictures with their family, I was, um, I was a pig and shit. I was, you know, it was, I was, um, if, if no one can be happy, then I'm happy, right? Rather than I'm unhappy and I have to watch you post your sick National Siblings Day shit, which is so disturbing it was a nice... It, this year I was thrilled to enforce um, terror. Um, so it was just interesting. And like, you know, the show which does pit, posit Batman as the hero does have these these aspects of, of questioning the cop. Where it's like, who is this person and why is he doing these things? Um, and the way that he... it is He is not about restorative justice. Like, he... They are his family and they are his equals, but he won't let them go. Um, Which is sad and poetic and beautiful. I finished Angel season four. Thank you so much for asking. Really, I think like Westworld could never, Game of Thrones could never. Like, I don't think any, it's just crazy that um on in the buffy verse they do a season about scientology like it is so (laughs) insane to me and that amy acker fred is the like she gets her own body snatchers episode like always meant a lot to me and um the actress who plays jasmine who's the superhero um who is lawrence fishburne's wife hold on i know her name um gina torres oh ex-wife 
Gina Torres as the uh, arch-villain is incredible. She's gorgeous. She's statuesque. Um, and this she's a Taurus. The cell of that, of her character, is truly one of the most deranged things I've ever seen, but the payoff is spectacular. I'm seeing a lot of, like, hubbub about Michaela Cole not getting nominated for a Golden Globe. Okay. Let me just say something. She doesn't care, okay? You don't need to to make a ruckus for her. She doesn't care. This is... I'm going to get in trouble. But this is like when people got into a whole thing about how Gal Gadot wasn't getting paid enough uh, for Wonder Woman. And it was like, she's fine. Like, I I don't think she cares about the Golden Globes. The Golden Globes is for like... What is the Golden Globes? The Golden Globes nominated, you know, The Tourist with Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie. Okay, for Best Picture. She's fine. I I promise you, like, you don't need to take a stand for her. You can celebrate her in a critical discourse, but don't... I I, I really don't like when people get turned into an underdog when they don't ask for it. Like, stand up for her when she asks you to stand up for her, okay? That's not going to go over well. Um, The Michelle Pfeiffer interview in The New Yorker should have been longer, but very good. Um, it's all very much about how like private she is and about how she hates interviews, which I'm like, okay, you are a Gemini rising, you are a 12th house Taurus sun. And yeah, so there is this sense of like, I'm not going to give you anything. Um, and by the way, she has Venus and Mars. So feminine, masculine, beauty, sex, um, artistry, individuality in Pisces, the cinematic fantastical Pisces in her 10th house of career and public role. So it really doesn't get much better than that. Um, lastly, this is just the thing I want to say, like a mental block. Cause you know, as, as we know, I have Pluto in Scorpio in my 10th house. So I have the planet of death, the underworld and regeneration in my house of career, which I think has been, and I have Pluto opposing my son. So my vitality and my underworld are really at odds. And there is obviously, for anyone who knows me, a great annihilative force at work, uh, which often registers in my many career self-destructions, classically uh, in me deleting my Twitter this summer, uh, losing all my followers, and now having to start from scratch with no one. Okay. Um, But I've just been thinking about like one of my unconscious blocks is I really think that I resent audiences because my Aquarius rising is so obsessed with like contrarianism that I'm like I want to go against the crowd whatever you know all of that bullshit but then how am I ever going to develop an audience if I resent the idea of it so I've just been thinking about that and the Britney documentary was very healing for me because I have so much trauma from going to like Zionist summer camp um and being in the like fan culture of going to like comic cons and having panic attacks there because you can't find the exit and you're surrounded by idiots um and like you literally can't breathe um it's just like hotel carpeting so i've just like and then you know i lived in la i did landmark forum okay that's another episode i just like resent any form of like fan culture i think it's like either mass gaslighting or i think it's just like corporate identity like there's no individuality and it's like awful and i've just been like thinking a lot i'm 
that trauma has now informed me where I'm like, well, how am I ever going to build a following of my own if I hate them? Like, that is so sick. Okay. But the Britney documentary was healing because her fans are, like, trying to save her life. And her fans are, like, very present and smart and listening. And between that, and I, I listen to the Cerebro podcast every week, which has become, like, my greatest joy, which is Connor Goldsmith's X-Men podcast, which is this incredible Byzantine queer discourse that would make, like, the Talmudic scholars lose their minds. Anyways, it's incredible. Um, and I guess I'm just, like, I'm... I am changing my view where I'm like, oh, actually, in this Aquarian era, what if, like, the people can um, not just be these, like, pawns for these uh, mass Hannibal Lecter gaslighters? Obviously, we will be doing a Britney Spears astrology episode on this podcast. Don't you worry. That is a solemn vow, and we will get cracking on that. Okay, um... The guest I'm about to introduce, Leila Halabian, is one of my oldest, dearest friends. Um, I have known her through many revamps, weight fluctuations of my own and makeovers. And um, this is the person who recently taught me how to mute words on Twitter. So now I never have to read the words, here's a fun fact ever again. Um, And and I don't have to jump off of a bridge. So that's exciting. Um, This was a pleasure and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Welcome to a very special episode of The Luminaries. Uh, as this episode is coming out, I think a day or two before, be uh, a day or two preceding the new moon in Aquarius, I wanted to celebrate one of, you know, when you're looking at Aquarius celebrities, it's really a mixed bag because I think Aquarians don't give a fuck about like being visible in that way. And then we find the ultimate Aquarius celebrity. And um, to do that, I have recruited, uh, first of all, the person who turned me on to this chart um, and uh, the one of the uh, primal as, uh, astrological inspirations in my life and people who got me into astrology and certainly <laughs> one of the you know when it comes to aquarius is this is we've hit the motherhood um so Layla halabian well welcome to the luminaries finally i'm so glad to have you here i'm really excited to be here thank you so i before we get to mr gregory rasputin um i guess i'd love to know if you could just tell the the listeners like about how you got into astrology and or how you discovered your Aquarian nature and what that means to you. Sure. So I've been into astrology for a very long time and it was almost kind of always, you know, for the very beginning stages of it, very surface level. And this is like, you know, in the 2000s, like I always thought being an Aquarius was cool. And I was into that. And they were always, you know, I would read, you know, horoscopes and Teen Vogue or Nylon because I had subscriptions to them. And it was always like, oh, you know, Aquarius marches to the beat of their own drum. And I was like, yes. (laughs) Like I just really, (laughs) I was into the fact that uh, the sign was like celebrated for being uh, different. 
and unique. And so that was kind of my first introduction to that. And then, you know, astrology is one of those things that like the more you learn about it, the more, you know, complex it becomes. So I think at some point in college, oh God, it was like cafe astrology, getting into that and then realizing that that was a crock of shit. And then just just kind of learning more and more about it. And then I think- um, The internet, this is what I'm learning with astrology. I can only read books because looking up anything with astrology on the internet will lead you down it's true chaos. It's truly like we don't know who these people are who are writing this shit. They're totally unhinged. Yeah, it's a complete mess and it just like <laughs> is always almost like contradictory as you're reading it. And so like I can imagine somebody who's like maybe trying to get into it and like googling like what is like Pisces in Neptune mean or like Neptune in Pisces blah, blah blah and you're just like, "Oh yeah, well like of course you would think this is all stupid because like the information that you're getting is like really just it doesn't make sense it's like you know when you like you read things that you're like did an algorithm write this yes. is it trying to like mimic like human yes. speech and nothing is really coming out correctly that's kind of like information on the internet but then basically I found astrologers that I liked and I kind of um started reaching out to them kind of and working with them and then buying books and then meeting people who were interested in the same way that I am which is like I like very controversial opinion but like I hate astrology memes I think they are trash and like I feel like they because it's like it just takes them like I feel like no one understands Aquarius when it comes to memes I'm like Mm. no we are not like detached we just don't like you. We are bored by everything you stand for, everything you say. It's like, it's not like, it's not like Aquarius is not like a cold, mean sign. And they're very like into what they're into. And maybe you just need to step your game up. Um, you know, you are an only child. And I, I always think of a. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. I know, I'm like. <laughs> real journalism here but i think of aquarius as the only child sign in a lot of ways yeah i see that too um it's because aquarius i feel like also really likes to dive deep into something Mm. and i think that is a very um only child trait also to find something that you really like and just kind of make it your life for however long because you have to keep yourself entertained and have like a very rich imagination and like inner Mm. world and i think that is the epitome of aquarius but and this is key i mean this i think of all fixed signs which we'll get into but aquarius will get into something that they want to get into if you tell them like if you tell an aquarius that they should watch like tiger king or something they are not it's just going to go in one ear and out the other and Aquarius will independently get obsessed with, which I know is the case with you, an anime show that's been off the air for 15 years that no one's ever heard <laughs> of. And you will literally like become devoted to it all in your own world. And you don't really care. Like you don't need to be going with the rest of the pack. Exactly. Like a very good example of this is that I just watched all of Euphoria last weekend because I felt like it was a little too popular. And I was like, I'm going to wait for the hype for it to die down, which just happened to be like a year and a half after it came out. And like 
two Christmas episodes later, like I'm finally like, okay, like time to press play. And so there we go. That's like, that's kind of actually to take that to the next level though, you iconically once said to me, like, can I make fun of all the teens for doing the makeup on Euphoria? Yes. Do I need to watch Euphoria to do that? No. Which I think is very Aquarian of like, you are actually quite tapped into what's going on and what the trends are, which is very Aquarian. Like you can see what's coming, but like, don't waste my time. And like, you don't, you don't tell me what to do, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. Like in, you know, my most childish impulses, sometimes like when someone's like, you know, in good faith or whatever, trying to tell me to do, like watch something or read something or something I should be into. I'm like, you have no idea like <laughs> who I am. And then like later on, I'll maybe get into it like a year or two later and then I'll hit them up and be like, oh, you were right. Like, thanks. <laughs> I'm never going to be like, oh, I never said that, but I will do it on my own time. Cause also we don't believe in time. That's another okay. thing. Like linear time <laughs> is something that I don't, like I don't co-sign that and I have to live in a linear timeline, but I'm not really about it. So in Aquarius, a lot Aquarius is co-ruled by two planets. Uh, the classic planet that it's ruled by is Saturn. The modern planet that it's ruled by is Uranus. Saturn is the planet of time and structure and age. Um, and Uranus is the planet of revolution. And Saturn also rules Capricorn, which I think Saturn fits better with Capricorn, but I think Capricorn is truly ruled by time and Aquarius reinvents time. Aquarius is just like, I, I, I get it. Aquarius understands the structure and they're like, I get, to, I like, I think Aquarius can completely morph it and make it into whatever it wants. And it's not, it's not governed in the same way by Saturn and in, in the way that Capricorn is, I think. Yeah, I get that completely. Like I think Aquarius needs and enjoys like a, a loose structure just so mm. they can like fuck it up between it. You know what I yes. mean? But they don't need everything to be completely like um, loose, like the way, um, for example, like Pisces might, Stop. where they need everything <laughs> to be like, you know, just, it can be kind of like out there and like spread all over the place for Pisces, whereas Aquarius is like, okay, cool, we can have it spread all over the place, but like, it still needs to be like in some sort of container as it's mm. happening. It's kind of like how I view, I guess, time in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about, okay, so let's just start about uh, Rasputin. Well, bef before we start, could you just kind of tell the, the listeners... <laughs> Who rest like just broad vibes? Who uh, Grigory Rasputin was? He's the number one freak of Russia. Mm. He is the original celebrity. Um, he is very much, you know, an archetype of Aquarius, in my opinion. I would say like first sex symbol of the twentieth century. Probably. Honestly, okay, so I did write a little note for myself as I was um, preparing for this uh, podcast, and I wrote, um, stand by. Okay, so where is this note? Okay. So I wrote that 
if Rasputin shaved and lived in the Lower East Side, he would be drowning in pussy. Yeah. I Man also... is like 6'6". Six, six and like... <laughs> And people are like, can you imagine? Can you imagine this like mystic figure? Oh my God. I honestly think today he would be living with Grimes and Elon Musk. And like, as Elon Musk becomes the richest man alive, like uh, Rasputin would conveniently be like the house doula slash like advisor slash like, I could see grimes and elon high like keeping him at the house at all times to raise baby eon and like heal grimes's ailing body yeah maybe what their original plan was with azealia banks you know what i mean <laughs> they like wanted her to come over and then you can't <laughs> bring a gemini you cannot bring a gemini into a into a house like that you just can't you a cancer and a pisces uh with plans for world domination and destroying all unions cannot you can't throw in gemini energy oh my god an iconic moment in time for sure so rasputin um was born in the late 19th century uh peasant in Russia. We'll get into some of the details, but he rose to fame when he emerged in St. Peter's in the St. Petersburg scene. And he was a he had a religious conversion experience, moved to St. Petersburg, became this kind of like star at these salons, and eventually was introduced to Tsar Nicholas and Empress Alexandra, who took him on as like this kind of all he's doing everything for everyone but most famously um he was really close with <laughs> empress alexandra and she wanted him to heal her son um of like hema uh he hemophilia hematoma or something um and as um <clears throat> czar nicholas left the the country for world war one he and uh, Empress Alexandra largely took charge. And by this point, his reputation as a mystic um, and as a sexual powerhouse, deviant, lunatic star um, got him. He, I think he was blamed for a lot of what was going on in Russia and he was killed famously there are a lot of reports about how this happened, which we'll get into, but his death is very famous. So we'll get into that. Um, I just want to start with his rising. So when Rasputin was born, Scorpio was breaking on the Eastern horizon. Scorpio is his rising sign, and it kind of sets the course for his chart. He is an Aquarius sun <laughs> and a Taurus moon, <laughs> which I'm just like... Okay. <laughs> so Layla, you similarly have, so I'd love to know if you could explain, he has his ascendant sun and moon in three fixed houses. Um, I have a lot of fixed energy. You have a lot of fixed energy. Could you explain what fixed signs are and what this kind of is telling us about his chart? Sure. Well, um, in astrology, there's three modes for the signs to be in. The first one is cardinal. Cardinals, um, they're starting everything. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like that 
energy that wants to get things going. And then, you know, once you get an idea going, you kind of need to have the fortitude to make it last, which is the fixed sign. So they stay, they crack down, they hold on, um, they persevere. And then, you know, once you get through that, everything needs to end at one point. So then you have, um, mutables. Mutables. Yeah. So mutables basically they spread everything out, they go, they kind of dissolve it. So then once again, you can get to the cardinal and then this cycles around the zodiac wheel. So with cardinals, we have Capricorn, Aries, um cancer and libra so each of them starts their season they kind of define the traits of the season fine the mutables who are just kind of like picking up every transmission that comes in we have pisces gemini sagittarius and virgo and then the fixed signs uh are scorpio taurus Aquarius and Leo. So if you think of these four signs, I mean, Layla, tell me what you think, but it's it's a lot of what we were saying earlier, which is like, when people tell me what I should watch or what I should read, I'm Aquarius rising, I'm Taurus sun, like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want, and it's going to be good. There's that aspect. And I think there's just this aspect of like, I think fixed signs are not hustlers maybe they kind of are. I think fixed sign energy is not about hustling. It's not about venturing out into the world. It's very much about like, no, you'll come to me. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, fixed signs are famously like very stubborn and all of all four of those signs are stubborn in their own way. Um, And like, personally, I'm a Leo rising Aquarius sun Taurus moon. And, you know, like, I kind of like make a decision and I'm sticking to that kind of Mm. thing. And so it can, you know, definitely is something that that's like my nature is to not want to change and let, like, let go of certain things. Um, But it's something that's like, I feel like all fixed signs have to work on because you have to be able to adapt. And like, that is what mutability is. It's like, you can adapt. That's why Gemini is like, you can throw them into any situation and they will like kind of cause enough they will cause chaos that'll be entertaining to them kind of thing the issue with the yes exactly the issue with mutables though is that that versatility um it's hard for them to get a sense of self-definition which fixed signs are like this is what i do like take it or leave it we know who we are for sure exactly yeah Um, um yeah so yeah it's like a it's a really strong sense of self. Uh, we also like, yeah, you can't you can't change a fixed sign's mind. Like you have to kind of like almost, if you really want that to happen, it has to kind of be their own idea. Mm. They are, you know, like Taurus is a bull, like good luck fighting with a bull, like Scorpio, yeah. <laughs> Scorpion, like, and then Scorpio, like also, I remember one astrologer was telling me like the, differences between the water signs and it was like you know the what like cancer being the crab it like is on it is in the water but it's also on the land it's always like scuttling back and forth it doesn't really like get that deep scorpio is like deep you know like it's the little um the scorpions are like in places that you're not expecting yeah. in lakes all this other stuff 
and then Pisces is just like the bottom of the ocean. It's like <laughs> dark, you can't see, like you got to go off vibes kind of thing. Like that is what it is. But yeah, I mean. And Scor- I've heard Scorpio, <laughs> I've heard Cancer compared to like lakes, rivers, and streams. And, and Pisces is the depth of the ocean. And Scorpio, I've heard compared to icebergs. <laughs> it's yeah. just like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, before we get into like the details, uh, you and Rasputin are both, and of course the house placements are different. It's, there's a lot of differences in your charts, obviously, but you are both Aquarius suns and Taurus moons. And I'm just curious how, obviously it's not something you can succinctly explain. Um, I'll just say to like to introduce, and then I want to hear your thoughts. Like sun is you coming out into the world it's a lot of the body vitality emergence radiance it's a lot of what people see moon to me is more inner life it's the soul um and so there's a relationship because the moon reflects the sun's energy um but they represent different sides of you so i guess i'm just curious like to discover that this icon is a an aquarius sun Taurus moon, what is that vibe? What is that image, etc.? I mean, I feel like Aquarius sun, Taurus moon. Taurus moon, first of all, uh, the moon is exalted in Taurus. Mm. That means it's, uh, you know, the moon really likes being there. Um, there's a lot of like vitality, a lot of like fertility with the moon because the moon is wet, right? The Ooh. moon, right? And then so like a good... A good um, metaphor that I uh, know about the moon was that like, if the earth is the field, right? Um, and the water is like coming in, moon and Taurus is like nurturing it. It's the right amount of water for the crops mm. to grow. Whereas like the opposite of Taurus, which is Scorpio, where the moon is in its fall, I want to say. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, it's a deluge of water. There's too much water. There's too much water. It is flooding. The crops are dying. And that's why it's like, you know, sometimes a hard placement for the moon because it's just too much intense emotion. Whereas like that's Taurus moon, Taurus moon. Um, and maybe the reason why, like, I don't really vibe with the whole like Aquarians are like closed off sort of thing is because I have that Taurus moon, which like mm. really keeps me grounded. <laughs> it really keeps me like... <laughs> It keeps me, you know, um, you know how to take care of yourself with a Taurus moon. Whereas like sometimes with Aquarius, you can be very much in your head and then the Taurus moon can take you back in your body. Yes. And let's just get right into it. So we have a Scorpio rising with Rasputin. So um, the chart, when you have a Scorpio rising, the chart is ruled, co-ruled by Mars and Pluto. Rasputin, where do we find his Pluto, planet of death and regeneration in the seventh house of intimate partnerships, close relationships, and what? Open enemies. Pluto is conjunct his moon. So Pluto and his moon are together. So we have his moon in Taurus in the seventh house. Okay. So from the start, we know that there's a huge, with him, um, sense of inevitable death, but transformation of his circumstances which is pluto through relationships 
in the seventh house. Okay. And with Taurus there, I'm like, okay, so there's, you know, he grew up a, a peasant. He had seven siblings who died. <laughs> and there is this sense of like, through the right relationships, through meeting the right people, um, and through, I would say, manipulating them, which is very Scorpionic, he's able to elevate his circumstances uh, so that his sense of personal wealth and security, Taurus, is taken to the next level. And if we think about um, Rasputin, you know, like, he's amazing because obviously he's a star, but he's actually... He didn't really found any movements. He actually acted through others, like largely uh, the Empress Alexandra. So if we think about Alexandra as this kind of portal, you know, we see this moon in the seventh house. That means you get security in relationships. To me, I think it's actually more he got like, um, <laughs> like advantage through relationships. And so with astrology, I'm really into rulerships right now. So each sign has a ruler and when we look for where the the ruling planet is in the chart we get kind of a connection taurus is ruled by venus where does he have his venus in the second house of personal resources earning and values so there is this aspect of like relationships for him are the way he levels up and by the way when he moved to saint petersburg he was married with two children and he was like uh, don't come with me. Like, I'll send you some checks. Like, I I'm just going to go for a while. And it's like, yeah, he's not fucking coming back. I feel like his wife famously said there's enough of him to go around. Yes. Like, she was just like, she was just like, he's like, a don't worry about me. Like, he's a big personality. Like, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm getting enough. Um, yes. And also something that was funny that I was reading about today was that like, when he first met the Tsar and Tsarina, he was supposed to like only talk to them for five minutes. And then he spoke with them for like an hour, which like imagine in right. Romanov court, like you get what, you ba barely get FaceTime with the Tsar if you're somebody. And then to have like this giant man come in and just be like, <laughs> you know, sweeping these guys off their feet, like is crazy. It's really yeah. powerful. So there's a lot there. Um, he has a gorgeous sextile pattern. We see this like stunning blue triangle that links Saturn in the second house, Mercury in his third house of communication in Aquarius, and then Neptune and Jupiter in his fifth house, Aries, um, of fifth house of like pleasure romance sex uh, not sex oh my pleasure God. Romance. he has jupiter in the fifth house it's outrageous layla <laughs> of course so, he does <laughs> for him his communication is like i mean his communication there's some issues there that leads to his death i think but in terms of that sextile pattern i wrote this down mercury sextile jupiter is a translator placement uh, Mercury and Saturn, I think, is right place at the right time. So I definitely think he like came in and he's like, yeah, I'm an Aquarius in my third house. Like, I am going to fucking rock your world, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So I... I also, I wrote this down, you know, again, Pluto is the planet of transformation. 
Scorpio is the sign of transformation. His chart is dominated by Scorpio. Pluto is the ruling sign. Um, I wrote this quote down, acts as a catalyst for, for healing in all of his or her relationships. Um, and the chart is co-ruled by Mars. How would you describe Mars, Layla? I mean, Mars is like the planet of aggression, planet of war, action. It's fiery, it's hot, maybe a little hostile. Um, yeah, it's like you need Mars to get things done, but kind of like Mars can cause a lot of like friction if it's, you know, bumping up or making like weird, um, yeah, transition transits in your chart. Ma he has a great Mars because his Mars, his Mars is right on his midheaven. So the midheaven is the top of the chart. The midheaven is your most public oh point in your chart. So if we think about your body and your drive and your sexuality, let's be honest. Oh yeah. Being sure. right in the spotlight and being like, yeah, I'm here to stay, babe. So there's that aspect, but also his Mars is in Virgo. Virgo is very much about how can I figure out a way to be useful? How can I be efficient? And Virgo's as you can ask my 22 year old personal trainer who's ruined my life and body, Virgos love to take an advisory capacity. Virgos love- Oh, they love that. Right? They love that shit, yeah. So he, it's like Mars on Midheaven. So we know you're a star, but he's like, no, 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 I'm just an advisor. Like, I I'm not the king, <laughs> I'm not the priest. And it's like, okay, but you're actually running the whole show apparently. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Virgos also love to create systems to work within and like, mm. what is more than just like plopping yourself into this like established system and just be like, no, 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 it's that, it's not me kind of thing, but. Yes, yes. Um, that Mars is trying <laughs> the moon in Taurus. So it's just like, okay, everyone wants to fuck you basically. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> and then his Mars is trying Venus. So if we think of Mars and Venus as masculine and feminine, respectively, the active and the receptive, respectively, the um, ambitious and the artistic, respectively, they're in al alignment with him, with Mars and Virgo and Venus and Capricorn. So there Wait, is. Wait, so he has a grand Earth trine. Does he? Does that make it a grand he earth trine? He has no? a grand earth trine, Layla. How did I not even piece that together? They are all trying to each other because <laughs> oh the moon God. is trying Venus too. Wow. Wow. So, <laughs> and again, these are in the second house of, of earning and personal resources, the seventh house of intermittent relationships, and the tenth house of career and public roles. And it's all in earth signs. Earth sign is money magic and like breaking it down so there is this sense that like his body his sexuality his presentation and venus is very much social graces and like especially can okay you're a venus and capricorn girl yes oh my <laughs> God. this is why like when i saw his char i freaked out i feel like i texted you when i was like david like, this is an emergency <laughs> um yeah venus and capricorn um is like it's definitely not it's such it's such a pragmatic placement 
like it's all about security yes. like it's all about like is this like in love like am i gonna be taken care of does this person like will they support me will they like look out for me like it's not it's not as like it's nothing like you know I feel like Venus and other signs where it's like very passionate or very like deep feeling like yes of course like people with Venus and Capricorn placements have passion and have deep feelings but it's also like very much like they really want to make sure this is like like good on paper sort of thing I yeah. feel like that's like a big thing for that placement Venus when we see Venus trying the moon so the moon is often associated with like women and ancestry so when you and so is venus so when you see venus and the moon in a good relationship and with his mars which is his more masculine sexuality it's like women can't get enough it, it's just like you know how to make women like very very happy and that's why the song lyrics of rasputin are so um are so of Ra Ra rasputin are so good because it's all about how like women just couldn't get enough. Oh right? yeah, like the Mos to the Moscow chicks, he was such a lovely dear. You know? like, <laughs> they loved him. Um, I want to talk about an issue with his Venus, and this I think is like critical to his downfall. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, so his Venus is square or challenged by Jupiter and Neptune. Jupiter and Neptune are in Aries in his fifth house of pleasure, romance, motherhood. Okay. Wait, this is actually really interesting. It's wild, right? Yeah. Um, so, well, first of all, how would you describe Jupiter and Neptune? Well, okay. Jupiter, in one word, like, like expansive. Yes. It blows everything up. So when it's close to Neptune, which is kind of like, mystery maybe delusions it's yeah. like it magnifies that like crazy yes and yeah like it's um i feel like whenever those transits are happening it's always kind of like you know make sure you know like what's real and you're not getting carried away with stuff like that feels like and that kind of <laughs> i kind of get that energy from him you know yes as a as a person and celebrity and sex icon <laughs> So, we have Jupiter and Neptune conjunct, which is very good. Neptune is associated with the invisible realms. So, having the planet of having literally like the lightning bolt of Zeus with Neptune, it's like, fuck yeah, psychic, healing, like occult powers off the chart. It's in his fifth house um, and it's with Aries. So, it's very much through his body. Okay. The fifth house is the house of romance. It's the house of kind of like dating and pleasure. And, you know, Aries is very much about acting on impulse, acting on desire. His chart is already very much desire driven because it's Scorpio rising with Pluto and the moon in the seventh house. So when I see Jupiter in the fifth house in Aries, I'm like, okay, the horniness is so off the chart, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, it's squaring Venus. So Jupiter and Venus square is tricky because sure, there's this sense of ostentatiousness. It's this sense of 
excess, gorgeous things, incredible salons, beautiful women, like parties, amazing. You're seeing the world, you're going to all these expansive new scenes and parties, okay. But it's also ostentatious because you don't know all the beautiful things in your life, you don't know how to contain it. And Jupiter is not able to like hold it back. So there's this sense of like a show off thing that of course, you know, was a little bit of a problem for him. Um, so I just wanted to note that square because I think it's like kind of key, right? And, and there's the lyric in the song, uh, Ra Ra Rasputin, of it was a shame how he carried on. Yeah, oh my God, this is so, this is very illuminating. It's wild. I like, yeah, this is really crazy. I yeah. can't believe he has these two conjunct. That's beyond. <laughs> and to further that, you know, we have Neptune and Jupiter squaring Uranus. So Uranus rules Aquarius. Uranus is the planet of awakening, higher consciousness, new technology, innovation, revolution. Um, he has Uranus in Cancer in the eighth house. How would you describe the eighth house? Um, Like... <laughs> other people's money other people's resources um death sex like maybe yeah. not sex but like it's like i always kind of confuse where a cult lies like it's like that seems eighth house yeah me too yeah and it's definitely not like sex in the way um fifth house is which is like really like blessings and like beautiful and fun and stuff it just seems like everything's a little darker in the eighth house Yes. So it's very powerful to have Uranus there because the eighth house healing work is great in the eighth house because you're basically acting as this like vessel for metamorphosis through other people's life cycles. So we love that. Um, and Uranus in the eighth house in Cancer, it's trying his moon, which gives, I wrote this quote down, a well-developed sixth sense. Um, there is this sense cancer is the sign of the tribe when we see uranus in cancer it's very much him going against the rest of the pack okay and you know uranus in the house of death let's just say his <laughs> he was not easy to kill so he really kind of flipped that whole paradigm which we'll get into and, you know, Uranus is very powerful. It rules his third house, the third house of God, the, the third house of uh, expression. Uh, I wrote this quote down, aid psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, gives a psychic and prophetic nature. Great. The issue is Jupiter and Neptune are squaring Uranus, okay? So all of the, like, excess and upheaval that you get from those planets, which was great in getting him out of his little peasant village and getting him to St. Petersburg. There might be a sense, especially with Uranus ruling his third house of, of expression and communication of maybe the way, maybe his revolutionary ideas, maybe the way he expressed them, maybe the way he got himself known was pissing off too many people. Like, um, Uranus is very much about like going against the herd. His Uranus, I get a sense, which came through in the way he saved um, uh, Alexi. Alexi and, you know, his powers, his, his religious beliefs. 
I think he may not have had the um the scorpionic um ability to discern how to get that across and what to keep secret and i feel like that may have been too public which may have gotten him in trouble oh yeah i mean like very much that's kind of how it went down almost it's like people did not like the influence he had they did not like how he was like behaving himself and he kind of like because he didn't care and he didn't know how to lay low and he needed to lay low it kind of yeah ended in um, his demise <laughs> i wrote this quote down because his son is ruling his his son <laughs> he has this is i just can't with this but his ninth house which is the house of god um he has his north node in leo like okay we get it and leo is ruled by the sun he has the sun in Aquarius, and I wrote this quote down, quote, may exaggerate a person's belief that what he believe, uh, belief, what he believes from his personal education or experience is tantamount to universal truth. So, and, <laughs> you know, his Mercury is squared by Pluto <laughs> and it's conjunct his South node. So I get a sense that um, Pluto, again, which is planet of deaths, there is this aspect between like the way he expressed himself being very much like his planet of death being like, okay, girl, <laughs> like this is going to get you in trouble, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, Wait, so can you explain what the North node means exactly? Cause that's also something that I feel like I'm slowly getting into nodes and I, don't really know what's me too and i actually love what's going on with the the nodes because you and i have our north node in aquarius and our south node in leo rasputin had his north node in leo and his south node in aquarius which is amazing so nodes as far as i understand the moon has a uh, southern elliptical and a northern elliptical the southern is the north node the dragon's tail the northern is the north node the dragon's head the southern in a chart so they're always in polar opposites in a chart so they're always yeah. di- directly across each other the south node represents usually where where we're coming from it's associated with past lives it's basically stuff that we need to get get out of get away from or like you know it's like family shit or like kind of bad history whatever the north node is kind of where we're going i think of it as like our future legacy um i often think of north node as like stuff that we might not even live to see but north node is our higher consciousness okay so i think with rasputin when i see so for instance we 1990 children our north node is in aquarius our south node in leo which to me is this kind of cosmic uh course correction which is like we are the generation that was like doing my space and like is very much about like what's your brand and very egocentric our north node in aquarius is like this kind of push towards like actually we need to have an ethos we need to be a part of a, something bigger not we just need like, like community we need yes. yeah we can't just be like alone in our own brands and in our own like little universes yes 
with Rasputin, his north node was in Leo, very close to his midheaven in the ninth house of God, which is to say... Good luck! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think, first of all, he was like, no, 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 no. I, I, first of all, I think he his idea of himself as an Aquarian of like, I'm not the star, like, I'm just here to help obviously was a lie but he actually is the star and his north node is like no bitch you're a leo like close to the midheaven and you'll re you'll be remembered that way you know what i mean oh yeah that makes that is a really good way of putting out it. it makes a lot of sense also it's this really interesting thing too that when he became um um like he started you know becoming a monk, he never followed the holy order. You know what I mean? Like when you follow the holy order, you know, you say goodbye to your old life. You kind of like devote yourself to God. He still even like bent the rules in this like kind of very traditionally austere institution mm -hmm. where he was like yeah, yeah yeah i learned all about it but like i'm going to st petersburg baby and i'm gonna like live my life i'm keeping my wife she's fine with it don't worry about <laughs> it i'm sending money to my children mind your business and like i can have it all like that's yeah so that was really fascinating to me that like he just kind of got away with that too that's interesting <laughs> so and magnetic that, i think like uranus the Uranus Jupiter square, I always, that to me, there's a lot of itinerancy there. So there is a sense of like, and especially Uranus in Cancer, there is the sense of like, I don't, I don't need a fucking institution. Like I am the body, like I am the power. Um, yeah. Like I don't need to, to get certified as any sort of monk. I am like the chosen one. Yeah, it's like the holy orders are good for you. Like, I don't need to follow them. Which actually, I have to say, that brings me to his Lilith and his Chiron. Um, his Lilith and Chiron are both in Pisces. And Pisces is obviously the sign of Christ. Pisces is the sign of uh, monotheistic religion in the age we are fast escaping. Could not get... Like the Aquarian age could not get here soon enough. Um, I love that he has Lilith and Chiron there because I'm like, oh, you had like a, a dark Christ narrative, which is like, you were crucified for your beliefs, but there is this sense, what, and, and I'd love to know your thoughts of this, but like Lilith and Pisces and Chiron and Pisces, especially opposing his Mars is very much like, I am never going to be I am never going to be tamed. I am never going to be part of like the institution. I am a holy man, but like you are not going to control me. And that Mars at the midheaven, I could see those are all of his critics on the public stage. And his Mars and his Lilith are being like, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. Like you can come for me. And then of course they did. <laughs> I love that interpretation. That's like, I feel like that checks out. I like, I immediately don't know much about Lilith like I know she's kind of like repressed sexuality is mm -hmm. that correct um and yeah. then Chiron is like the original moon <laughs> like yeah but but I yeah I don't really like I don't really know what that means when they're like in places in charts I like I know my own placement but like I don't really like 
I'm not that good at the interpretation of these two places. I'm still learning. And let me just tell you, Lilith placements is one of the number one examples of every time I look it up on one of these websites, I wish I had it because it's That's like, exactly why I don't know what right? it is. Cause I look it up and it's like, you are a dark sexual beast, like blah, and blah, blah. And I'm just like, I like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like be more specific. None of this is like really I know. resonating. Yeah. That's why um, I would say Lilith is repressed and exiled sexuality. And Lilith is the moment when you in your chart are just like, I am never getting fucking gaslit again for this reason. And I, and when we see it in Pisces, of course it could mean a lot of things, but for him specifically in Pisces, right by his IC, right? His IC and his South node, <laughs> So the base of his chart, we have Lilith, Chiron, and then we have his Mercury. So that Mercury, which is like maybe espousing beliefs that no one wants, that people want to hear, but are also threatened by, squaring his Pluto. And then we have his Lilith, which is him being like, I have been kicked out of, I don't, I don't, you know, Lilith is one where you kicked out of the Garden of Eden, one where you kicked out of paradise. So that's him being like, okay, I'm never going to fit in with the scene. I'm never going to just be a normal holy man. I am so much more. Um, and you're not going to tell me. And then there is this sense of like, okay, well, he will be crucified. Um, <laughs> he will be punished. Yes, he will be punished and he'll be remembered. But it's an inverse too, because Lilith is very much sexuality. So he gets remembered as this kind of like sexy figure rather than this like, boring Russian priest. He's actually this like sex symbol. Wow. Oh my God. Iconic. <laughs> that rocks. I love that. Um, so what else is like coming through for you, etc.? Um <laughs> yeah, I mean I just can't I like also was thinking about how he had this like ability to calm the Tsarina, which like everyone, like they think back on like why, cause he ultimately like did help Alexi, but it was like, you know, everyone was like, yeah, he probably was like, he had this like hysterical mother who wanted to save her son. And he kind of just like calmed her down, mm. which like probably calmed the child. And then also another thing was that because he denied all doctor, um, prescriptions which like at the time they would probably just give him aspirin which thins your blood so he was like no 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 no. like only I'm only praying get these pills away from him which like ended up helping him but yeah I was also wondering like like the ability to calm somebody down and like where that kind of like oh that's so that, that like the like the centering of emotion I feel like that kind of like ties it back to his Taurus moon, just being able to like, yeah, bring it back to this like state of calm because like a lot of, I mean, his, his chart is very chaotic and alluring, but like that is the one thing where you're just like, okay, like everything is chill right here. Yeah. And I would say too, like, you know, his eighth house where he does that healing work is co-ruled by cancer, which is obviously a healer's sign, but also by Gemini, which is the sign of communication. As we said earlier, he has Virgo, which is more the sign of advisory in the 10th house of career and public roles. 
Gemini and Virgo are ruled by Mercury. As we said earlier, he has this very structured, supported Mercury in like where Mercury belongs, which is the third house of communication and expression. So like, yes, we know that that Mercury moon, Mercury, <laughs> no, the Mercury moon Pluto square definitely got him in some trouble. Um, and we know that like that Uranus got him in trouble, but in other ways, I think that Mercury, he could really, and especially with Leo in that ninth house of God, he's like, I, I have a feeling like, yeah, when he talks, especially in that advisory Virgo position, you'll do what he says. And I can totally see um, taking an advice from a 10th house Virgo Mars conjunct Midheaven, you're like, yeah, whatever he says, I'm going to do. And I believe, um, like, that's pretty powerful. Wow. Yeah. I can totally see that. And yeah, Ooh, I agree. David, this, this interpretation of his chart is so illuminating. I love it's, it. It's blowing my mind. And I agree with you that it's not just that he has the moon in Taurus. It's he has, he has the moon and Pluto in Taurus. So I agree with you. There is this more transformative ability that he is able to bring in through relationships. And I can definitely see him during all relationship, anyone he's close with, which is the Empress being like, okay, the baby, the child's dying. What do we do? And he's like, yeah, it's what you're saying, which is like, I'm, listen to me now like I, I got it you know yeah like it's under control babe like let's go yeah. that yeah I mean he is such a powerful intoxicating figure like that yeah I wish you know I wish he lived in a time of like recorded video because like I would really Ugh. like in photographs when you see photographs of him you're like like it's not like you see him and you're like oh my god he's so sexy like I want to like go wild on him it's like it's like you look at him and you're like this is a powerful person like this is the person yeah. who kind of like knows what is going on um and it's yeah. like he's very magnetic and that's like it comes across in photographs he is digmatizing and like if you were at a saint petersburg salon by the way i have to watch the alan rickman rasputin movie the fact that i've never seen it is like what am i doing what? with my life yeah, apparently. He played Rasputin? <laughs> okay, I have, dear friend of the podcast, Lulu Krauss told me about this. Oh the my 1996 God. movie Rasputin, Dark Servant of Destiny. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Which I think oh was like God. a TV miniseries. Perfect, and we need more of it. <laughs> Alan Rickman plays Rasputin, which to me works. Which, because it's very much that vibe of like, he's a fixed sign. He's not going to come talk to you, but if you start talking to him at a St. Petersburg late night orgy, you will like, you will be in love for the rest of your life and you'll do whatever he says. Perfect casting. As you know, I famously think Alan Rickman is one of three men in Hollywood who's worth trusting and he's gone because God was like, enough, <laughs> we need to take you out of this. May he rest in peace. Um, yeah, the last thing I just want to take note of is like Saturn's in Sagittarius, which, you know, once again, 
the i'm not saying that saturn equals downfall but i just want to say like those sagittarian ideals and we know that sagittarius energy sagittarians are not very good at like putting a lid on it i really think it's a shame how he carried on essentially i just think that that form of expression got him in trouble okay um i just wanted to know he died um <laughs> Can you, first of all, can you explain the legend of his death? Yeah, so there was a czar loyalist who, you know, hated him, hated the influence he had, thought that he was causing like way too much trouble in court and um, basically like invited him over to his, um, to his like castle and was like, okay, like sit down, like have some sweets, basically like poison the sweets, poison the wine. And he ate it all and he was like, nothing happened to him. And then so they, <laughs> they, he shoots him, right? He shoots him how many times? It's like, <laughs> yeah, where is it? Yeah, so cyanide laced <laughs> cookies, multiple glasses of poison wine, shoots him once, doesn't die, shoots him multiple more times and then throws him in a river. And then when they find his body, they find out that he died of drowning. Like they still didn't kill him with like three plus gunshots and poison food and drink, like indestructible. Like, can you imagine? Oh my God. Um, it's. I think uh, it's the funniest thing. It's amazing. Um, so I just want to give a little, I did a little research. So this happened when Jupiter went back into Aries. So first of all, we're at his, his Jupiter return. I don't think Aries are the most tactful <laughs> often, not always, but you know, you're having your Jupiter return. Your Jupiter return is like, babe, the party is on, like, let's get into it. And there is just this sense of like, more, 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 and things being like a little bit too excessive. So first of all, secondly, um, Saturn at this point was in Cancer. So I think I just want to check. I wrote this down. Right. So he's going through his Saturn opposition. And I think he was going into his, he was about to start. No, he was in his Uranus opposition. So essentially, you know, we just had some big factors at work. Um, if we think of other famous Uranus oppositions, we think about um, like Oscar Wilde, which is like, high, 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 low, low, low. And I think that happened with Rasputin, which is like at the peak of his powers, things just came really crashing down. But yeah, I would definitely just say like, I loved you wrote this note, which is like, try to kill someone with a triple fixed sign, like power. Keep trying, like, especially a Scorpio <laughs> rising, like, keep trying. There there is um a quote from the guy who tried to kill him and i think he wrote this in his memoir and he writes this devil who was dying of poison who had a bullet in his heart must have been raised from the dead by the powers of evil there was something appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die <laughs> like can't, oh my god it's so like he just evokes such strong feelings in everyone he's around which i find extremely admirable and honestly 
those are the people in history that we remember. It's so good too for that Lilith and Pisces, which is him being like, well, Christ rose from the dead. I will too. <laughs> and it's so good of like that Pluto and Taurus because Taurus is very stubborn and his Pluto is like, no, <laughs> Mm-mm. just no, all of no. it it's like it's so 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 good um wait yeah. so he died during his jupiter return yes <laughs> <laughs> and it's jupiter and aries in his fifth house of pleasure and it's like yeah party on babe party till the literally very, like, going out drinking wine and eating cookies and like fuck you know <laughs> i know and he's like oh this wine's great i'll have another and they're like are you sure insane oh my god (laughs) yeah uh it's really chef's kiss uh, as you say okay um is there anything else you would like to say actually this is what i want to ask you so uh at the time that this will be coming out which i think will be february 9th we'll have a few weeks left of aquarius season obviously jupiter and saturn are in aquarius for 2021 except for a little dip this summer um you and I, oh, and when this comes out, we're having a Mercury retrograde in Aquarius. So a lot is happening with Aquarius. And I'm just curious, like, what is your vibe check for this period, for this month, for this year that people can think about? Um, I mean, personally, I find Aquarius season very invigorating. I am obviously a little biased, but I do think Same. that it is, you know, it's it is a time to like, where the things you can like rethink a lot of things and like reimagine and I feel like where we are in the world at this point in history it's like we've been so suffocated by the powers that be by like institutions by like tradition by everything that it's like we've completely lost the ability to imagine Mm. what a different world could be like and I like kind of um encourage people to just like look at their chart and see where um Aquarius lands in their chart and kind of just like reimagine what the themes of that chart could be for them and see like kind of just like try to like view it from different perspectives and stuff just try to like bring in that Aquarian energy into their life but yeah I mean Aquarius is like a time to have fun in my opinion I like really think it's like they're Aquarius is very like life of the party if we like you kind of thing. Yes. And as I think we've learned from Rasputin, Aquarius does not care at all. And and I don't think what's amazing about Rasputin, and of course, yes, he had his North Node in Leo. So we know the star power was there, but he was like, I'm not even the king and I'm going to be more famous than the king ultimately. Like, I am going to act in a behind the scenes capacity and watch me reap the benefits. And I think there's something very Aquarian of like, now is not the time to be thinking about like how we can get our name out and how do I get people to like me? And like, what's my brand? I think Aquarius is more about like, what do I do? What is my ethos? What's interesting to me? And like, I don't, I think the Aquarius vibe is very much like, I don't need to be front and center. I can be the most interesting person here just as the like royal vizier. You know what I mean? And then steal the show. I think that's a really astute way of putting it. It's like 
yeah, you don't, I think it's also really nice to just try to imagine what the world could be in like yes. in a year and five years and not even in a personal five-year plan kind of way. Cause I feel like that's like, like we're not Virgos. Like that's not what we're about. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, what kind of person would you want to like be in that time? Like what mm. is like the personal growth that you would want to make? And like, what is like, just like letting your imagination really go wild for a bit. And then once you do, you can like come back and try to see how it can be accomplished in reality. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that. Um, okay, Layla, where can people be following you? I am only on Twitter. I refuse <laughs> to be on disgusting Instagram. Mark Zuckerberg can kiss <laughs> my ass. Um, and yeah. Iconically, Layla, this is what works in our friendship. I can only be on Twitter once a month without getting scared that I'm going to get like bullied in the playground or whatever bullshit. But I love Instagram. Layla is like, you can let me know if anything interesting happens, but I doubt it. Meanwhile, Layla rules Twitter. So we have that and kind of balance. You know what? I might be even doing some of the bullying. It depends. <laughs> I hope um, so. Yeah. So I am on Twitter at Laylology, which is L-A-Y-L-O-L-O-G-Y. Slay. Um, and of course, people can follow your incredible writing at Nylon, uh, among other yes. venues. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, I have been David Odyssey. You can follow me on Instagram at David underscore Odyssey. If you'd like to book a reading. Um, and by the way, if you want a tag team reading with Layla and me, that, listen, we can make <laughs> anything happen. Like Rasputin, we are freaks. Uh, you can DM me or email me adavidodyssey at gmail.com. Layla, I want to really thank you. This was actually like one of the best ones I've done. This was so much fun. And um, like, what a way to celebrate Aquarius season. So thank you. I love talking astro with you. This is my pleasure. <laughs> the Luminaries is made with love in New York City. Consulting producer, Carly Hugendike. Music by Henry Kapersky and art by Greg Kozitek. To follow me, book a reading, that could be tarot or astrology. Check me out on Instagram, David underscore Odyssey. Or email me, adavidodyssey at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Please like, share, rate, subscribe, etc. Mwah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.